or anywhere else on a Thursday night, you are cheating only yourself. Look at your neighbor and say you've made the right decision. For those of you who this is your very first time here, you found the right place. We're excited to have you here. Come back next week. Come back the week after that. Make this your home on Thursday night. It is an amazing place to be. Well, how many of you were here last week as Pastor Jared opened up the series, Dream Killers? Man, he can throw down, and we talked about a special, special guy in the Bible, but before we kick off with that, I kind of want to start with a little bit of something, a little bit of something that I feel that I may have in common with each and every one of you as we kick off night two of Dream Killers. Now, there are certain dark days in our life that many of us can kind of look at each other and say, I feel that. I know, what that, I know what that feels like. I know what it's going through. The first, the first one I can think of probably hit a lot of us early in life. And that was the day we found that Santa Claus wasn't real. It was a dark day. Sorry. That day is today. I'm very sorry, okay? He's, he's, he's not. Okay. All right. So anyways, that is the first dark day. And some of us, we found out from our parents. Some of us, our parents were just hoping we would find out at school and somebody would tell us somewhere along the lines. There's many things that many of us found out that way instead of the intentional way. Uh, I found out when there were presents underneath our tree on December 15th. Um, all the songs, they're lies, all right? So there are certain dark days. This, the second kind of dark day, many of you may relate to this. If you do not relate to this, consider yourself blessed. For me, it was the day that my grandmother found Facebook. Coincidentally, she found the caps locked on the exact same day as well, and it never came off, never. She would be a stealth bomber. I mean, just randomly on posts that have nothing, and then she found the share button. Oh, dark day. Dark day to the world. And so if you have not experienced that terror of, you know what, that's my sweet grandma, and then suddenly everybody's finding out what's really inside, all right, fingers crossed. The third kind of dark day, how many of you have a younger sister? Uh, the day your younger sister begins dating. Ooh. It doesn't matter how much you actually feel that you care up to that moment. From that moment onwards, you care. You care. And it, it is a dark day. I remember I, I have two younger sisters, and I remember the first time one of them just let me know, hey, I'm, I'm dating someone. And who is this someone? And then you just go about older brother stalking them. That's just how you do it. There are dark days in our life. And if you've got your Bibles with you, which hopefully you do, if this is your first time at View, we are obsessed with paper here. All right, we like paper. All right, go ahead and flip to the book of Genesis. If you've never been there before, open your Bible, turn left till you can't go anymore, all right? The book of Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 37. Now, Pastor Jared started off the message with talking about identity and talking about Joseph. There's a character named Joseph. Everyone say, hello, Joseph. All right, so Joseph is an amazing character, a character that we look at the people in the Bible and we say, you know what, I can pull strength from that person's story. I see myself in that person's story. Wow, that person made it through so I bet I could as well. And Joseph is one of these characters whose life is just stranger than fiction. And at this point in the story that we, we, we run up to in chapter 37, Joseph's father, who has 12 sons, has just 
just, just obtusely made Joseph his favorite. So much so that he's decided to give his son a high visibility jacket to go ahead and designate to all the others, this is my favorite child. And for those of you who were not the favorite child in your family, you know what that feels like. It's an interesting feeling. Sometimes it's a suspicion. With this, Joseph had a coat of many colors. There was no arguing there. He was the favorite. And so the brothers really didn't like him. It went beyond annoying younger sibling territory. It went beyond that because then Joseph began having dreams. Now, it's one thing to begin to have a dream. It's another thing to actually tell your brothers the dream that you had about them bowing down to you one day. Not going to make you many friends. Not going to make you many, many, many allies at home. And this is where the story picks up this week. Because the father loves Joseph so much that he sends all of the brothers except Joseph out to go, to, to go shepherding. Out into the fields. Out to go do chores. And he keeps Joseph at home. Now, if you are the brothers, how are you feeling at this moment? Ah. And then suddenly... This is where the story picks up. Suddenly, the story has an arc to it. We're going to start in verse 18. You know, if your Bible's with you, you can look up on the screen. We've got big electronic ones for you. It says this, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, how could they see him coming? Because he had a coat of many colors on. They recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. I mean, it's the only rational thing to do at that moment, right? It's the only rational solution. Let's kill him. Yes. All right, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's, let's not kill him, he said. Why, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern. Now, some of your translations may say pit, and that's kind of what we're going to be using here. Into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. These plans just get better and better and better as we go along. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And so... Joseph here, suddenly the story takes a little bit of a turn. He, he was not expecting the story to go this way. I don't know what he was expecting. Maybe he was expecting his brothers to open arms. Hey, we're happy to see you. I don't know what he was expecting. But he is there at the bottom of a pit. He's been thrown there. He's, been, he's had his robe ripped off of him. And there he is in the bottom of the pit. And I just kicked my water bottle. All right? in the bottom of the pit. And the thing is this, is that as we look at this, this was a dark day. And it's a dark day that all of us in here share. Why? Because there's not a single person in this room who has not gone through a pit of rejection in their life. If you look at the person on your right and you look at the person on your left, the thing you have in common, besides being here on a Thursday night, is this, you have gone through some form of rejection in your life. And for some of you, you're, you, it's something you think on, something you dwell on. It's something that kind of stings when you want to approach a situation and you've been rejected before or you've been burned before or you've been told that you're not good enough or you've been told that you're not the favorite. But the pit 
is the pit of rejection. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Because the thing is, is that many of us in this room, not only have we been shaped with our rejection, but we've also allowed it to be a dream killer in our lives. We've allowed it to be. Now, I remember going to Disney World. How many of you love Disney World? Uh, I, Disney World is just a great place. Love Magic Kingdom. We were going with Trisha's family to Magic Kingdom. We just got back from an entire day there. And I have a younger niece, and her name is Chloe. And Chloe, Chloe's interesting because whatever comes into Chloe's mind comes out of her mouth. There's no filter in between whatsoever. You've met that child before. All right. And so anyways, Chloe begins to reflect on how magical the day was. And Chloe begins to tell us about her favorite thing of the day. We were all kind of talking about our favorite thing, Space Mountain, always. All right. And so some people like different things about, about Disney World. But Chloe leans back and says, guys, I loved the pink castle. And I thought to myself, I mean, there's a castle. It's not pink. And she went a little further. I loved how they painted all the grass pink around there. And, and I loved not only was the grass pink, she began to describe the pink road that led up to the pink castle and how all the cast members inside the castle were wearing pink. Now, Chloe was not lying. I, I could tell. This was, this was a true memory coming out of her mind. And all of us sat back and we thought to ourselves, where is she getting this pink world from? And suddenly it clicked. Chloe was wearing pink sunglasses the entire time when we were at Disney World. And so when Chloe goes back to Disney World one day, she will be shocked that it is not pink. She will be shocked that Minnie Mouse's face is not really pink. She will be shocked at the non-pinkness. And so often in this world, we wear Ray-Bans of rejection in our lives, where everything we see, everything we observe, everything that we want to step into is tinted and tainted by the rejection that we have observed, witnessed, and experienced in our life. And I want to tell you that it, your life doesn't have to have a period after that sentence. Because the thing about the pit is it's not final. And the thing about the pit is that something great can happen to it. Because what separates the great ones from the could-have-beens in this life is not that they had a pit. Did you have a pit or did you not have a pit? Everybody has a pit of rejection in their life. What separates the great ones from the could-have-beens is what did they do with their pits? What did they do with their rejection? What did they do with it? Was it a gravestone or was it a stepping stone? And guess who gets to decide that? You. You're the one who gets to decide what that pit of rejection in your life essentially becomes in your life. And so what do we do with our pit? We've established that we all have a pit, that our life is shaped essentially by the rejection that we've faced in our lives. Some of our decisions, some of us play life safe. Why? Because we've experienced rejection. So what do I do? Well, there's three things you got to do with your pit. There's three things you got to do with your rejection. The first one is that if you have found yourself being thrown in a pit, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get up. You've got to get up. It sounds elementary, but there are signs of people who have not gotten up. And I'm looking around this room, and there are so many of you, and it is not your bad. 
It is not your fault, but you are still lying face down at the bottom of that pit. How do I know if I've been lying face down at the bottom of the pit? There are a couple symptoms that you can tell, whether it's you that haven't got, hasn't gotten up or it's somebody that you know that hasn't gotten up. The first symptom is this. It's a defeated spirit. Now, I don't want you to get weird about that word spirit. Think of like, oh, they've got Christmas spirit or they've got team spirit. It's something that colors everything they are. They have a defeated spirit. We have Joseph here in this story. Imagine if the story ended with that verse and Joseph was there at the bottom of a pit. Imagine if the story ended right there, but it didn't. Why? Because Joseph decided to get up. And there's a huge difference in the life of somebody who decides that they have a reason in life to get up and someone who just lays there. Why? Because the world is cruel. Because life has somehow gotten mean. Because I was blindsided and I didn't expect to be at the bottom of this pit, but here I am. Some of us are paralyzed by our pits. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, it talks about us now that we have Jesus, now that we have hope, now that we've got Christ, this is how we should treat our pit. Paul says we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we are not destroyed. And for those who live without Christ, for those who have a defeated spirit, there is no but in this verse. If you have a defeated spirit in your life, if you have not gotten up, this is what life looks like. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are perplexed. We are hunted down. We get knocked down. And that's all it is. But God came to give us some buts. God came to, came to complete each thing. That because I have Jesus, we are pressed on every side by troubles. But, everyone say but. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed, not driven to despair. We are hunted down, never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. So the first symptom of someone who hasn't gotten up is they have a defeated spirit. The second symptom is this. It's a jaded spirit. It's somebody who's jaded. Have you met somebody who's just cynical about everything? Somebody who who's been burned so many times that they refuse to believe or hope for anything. And they're vocal about it. Why? Because life's been cruel. And guess what? I'm not going to get my hopes up, so I'm just going to talk negative about life suddenly. Someone who would rather mock than hope. Now, as I wrote this out, that kind of hit me because that's one of the symptoms that I had when I was at the bottom of, of my pit. It's really easy to sit back and, and mock this cruel world. And sometimes our jadedness can even get to our perception of God. Yeah, you know, God answered that person's prayer, but with me. Yeah, you know, that prayer thing is great, but, you know, God doesn't really answer my prayers. And sometimes it can even result in us throwing little tantrums back at heaven because we don't believe heaven is on our side or heaven is working for us. But I want to tell you, the pit is not for you to become jaded. It's, it's, it, the pit is there for you to get a better view of God. But if you do not get up, all you will see in the pit is the pit. All you will see in the pit are your troubles. All you will see in the pit is your rejection. You see, there's a story that I absolutely love. I love to hear about this man. 
Why? In his biography, he writes about him going, he, he, he grew up, there was nobody special, he grew up in a little tiny town, and he believed one day that God put it on his heart, I want you to go into ministry. I want you to preach one day. He didn't consider himself anything special at all, so he found a place kind of like City Hope College. It was a small group of people that where, where, where people came together, and, 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 and they learned about how to do ministry, and then they launched themselves into ministry. It was a great thing. So he ended up going to this little college, and this college had a really interesting tradition. This tradition was that if you liked somebody, if somebody caught your eye, you weren't allowed to go ahead and direct message them. Nope. No DMing them. You weren't allowed to text message them. Hey, I'm going to be real honest with you. I like you. <laughs> None of that at all. You weren't even allowed to go up and talk to them. And hey, I have feelings for you. No. You had to wait until graduation. You weren't allowed to say anything until graduation. And the tradition was that at graduation, as soon as the ceremony would get done, you would take your bouquet of flowers that you were handed, you would walk up to the girl who caught your eye, you would hand the bouquet of flowers to that girl, and you would say, hi, you've caught my eye during our time here. I would like to perhaps spend the rest of my life with you. And so this young man had a girl who caught his eye, and he waited one year, two years, three years, all the way until graduation. And after graduation, According to his biography, he grabbed his bouquet of flowers and walked right up to that girl, handed her, extended the bouquet, and said, Hi, I've, I've been waiting for this day for a long time, but I'd, I'd really like to spend the rest of my life with you. And she looked at the flowers, she looked at him, she looked at the flowers, and she pushed the flowers away, and she said, I have watched you, and there is nothing special about you. I want to be in the ministry, and I cannot imagine the places where I would have to go if I was your wife. So no thank you, and walks away. He was crushed. He had never had that kind of rejection. No one had ever spoken like that to him before. And so he didn't go to his car. He didn't go out to eat with his family. He just took his bouquet of flowers and walked into the woods right next to the chapel where they held the graduation service. And he said that he laid down the bouquet of flowers and he knelt down and he prayed all night. God, is this for real? Is there nothing to me? Did I spend all of this money and all of this time and all of this heart for waste? And at the end, as the sun was about to come up, he said he only heard one phrase from God. And it was this, I have called you and you will not fail. Man, I wonder if that girl ever wonders what it would have been like to have been married to Dr. Billy Graham. Because the thing is, is that he didn't allow his pit to stop him. He got up. And I want to tell you something. If you're finding yourself face down tonight, if you're finding yourself at the bottom of that pit, if somebody has rejected you and kicked you to the curb, it is not the right time to just lay there and lick your wounds. We have to get up. There is a world, there is a calling, there is a God who is counting on you to get up. And we have too many people who have been blindsided by rejection. And they're there at the bottom of their pits. And you weren't made for the bottom of the pits, you were made for more. And so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get up. But the second thing you've got to do is this. And this is going to sound really complicated. You've got to get out. 
You've got to get out of your pit. We're going, get up, get out. That's, that doesn't sound hard. Well, there's an interesting dynamic that happens. I remember when I was a youth pastor and I was working at a church in a different city. And, and, and on certain Sundays of the month, we would go to my senior pastor's backyard. And we would have like people who were new to the church bring their families. And we would do like a barbecue and, and have like watermelon and something. It was always during the summer. And so I'm there and there's all these kids playing around. And it's amazing what you can tell from the human condition by simply watching children. It's amazing what you can observe. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and across from me is Marcus. And Marcus is eating his watermelon. He's eight years old. He loves his watermelon. He loves superheroes. And that's all that matters in life to an eight-year-old boy. So he's eating his watermelon, and suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I see this, like this little flash happen. And in, in, in the backyard of my pastor's house, there was like a, a playground set where it was like there's a slide, and then there's like rope stairs that go up to somewhat of a tower and a little bit of a roof. You've seen those before. And she climbs up, and she gets up to the top of the tower, and she yells out at the top of her lungs, Help! Help! The dragon's got me, and I can't get out. Help, I need a prince. Little eight-year-old girl. I need a prince. The boy has heard the cry. Drops his watermelon. Steps to the side and says, I'll save you. Climbs up the rope ladder. Takes a swing at the dragon. Grabs her with one arm. Slides down the slide. And that's all he knows to do. So he just kind of pats her on the back and walks back over and gets his watermelon. She is not having it. This is not the purpose of this thing. This is not her goal. So what do I see her do? She climbs back up in the tower. Help! Help! The dragon's got me, and I can't get out. Help! I need a prince. I hear that voice again. Drops the watermelon. I'll save you! Marcus runs up the stairs, climbing as only an eight-year-old boy can do, takes a swing at the dragon, grabs her with his arm, and then slides down the steps, and he is out of breath at this point. And he just, does, he just pats her, and he goes back and gets his watermelon. And this girl is just flabbergasted, just like, this is not how this works. And so she goes back up into the tower. Help, help. I need, a, I need a prince. The dragon's got me. The kid's just like looks up, looks at his watermelon, looks up, sets the watermelon down. I'll save you. And then goes up and takes a half-hearted swing at the dragon and, and, and grabs, the, grabs the girl and slides down the slide, pats her on the back and walks back over to me. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm observing and I'm eating my watermelon, not doing a thing. And then suddenly I see her. She's going back up the tower again. And as the words are coming out of her mouth, help, help, the dragon's got me. I see the boy laying, slowly laying down his watermelon. And I think to myself, now is the moment to just contribute some lifelong, hard-learned wisdom into this young lad. He needs the knowledge that my life has produced. And so I jump right in front of him before he can put his hands on his hips and it's too late. And I get on a knee and I'm like, Marcus, Marcus, listen. 
I've got to tell you something, and you're not going to understand a word I'm saying right now, but it's going to save your life later on. I want you to listen to me, okay? Yes, sir. Okay, okay, Marcus, you've got to hear me. Beware of girls that love to be rescued but hate to be free. Beware, Marcus. And he looks at me like, what are you talking about, man? Beware of people who love to be rescued and hate to be free. See, because the thing is, is that most people who stay in their pit, they really love the thrill of being rescued, but they really don't like the responsibility of being free from the pits. And so I call these people the self-imprisoned. I call them, why? Because the thing is, is that pity and sorrow and rescue, for some of us who have been who have been rejected in life, it's the first taste of perhaps attention or non-rejection you've gotten. And it becomes this addicting drink that you drink again and again and again. And before long, before you know it, if you drink pity long enough, you will become pitiful. You can be pathetic or powerful, but you can't be both. You can't. And life will not wait on the wounded. There are individuals who spiritually, they have a wound and it's beginning to heal and they'll rip off the scab and say, look, see, I was hurt. And then it will heal again and you'll rip off the scab. Look, I was hurt. And it becomes your excuse for staying in the pit and not doing what you were called to do. We have too many holes on our front line in the kingdom of God meant to be filled by people who are sticking to picking off their scabs in the bottoms of their pits. And so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get up. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to get out. And the third thing you've got to do is you've got to get clean. Get up, get out, and get clean. Because the thing about it is this, is that you may get yourself out of the pit, but sometimes the problem is, is that you haven't gotten the pit out of you. And you've walked around with this residue in your life of rejection, where maybe you've left the pit, maybe you're moving, but guess what? The pit is still on you. See, I remember, I remember I had a roommate. His roommate's name was Brigham. And for those of you who are familiar with the Mormon faith, you know that the name Brigham is revered. It is, it, 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 amongst Mormonism, it's a hero of their faith. And I went to a ministry college, and there Brigham is. And I look at him, and I'm like, first off, why are you here? We're not a Mormon school. And he proceeded to tell me his story. He looked at me, and he said, my parents, we, I grew up born and raised in Salt Lake City. My parents are bishops in the Mormon church. They're high up, they're right underneath the president of the Mormon church. I have 14 brothers and sisters. And growing up between our house and the Mormon tabernacle, there was a Christian church. And growing up, every time that we drove past, my parents said, don't you dare stop at that place. Don't you dare ever go there. That's a cult. Don't ever go in there. Don't ever go in there. Don't ever go in there. And he had it ingrained in him never to walk into that place. And so he's, 
One day, he's 18 years old, he's driving there, and just for some reason, something tugged on his heart. Why don't you just pull into the parking lot? You're 15 minutes ahead of time. You can just step in there, you can see what all the fuss is about, you can make it to the Mormon Tabernacle and still not be late. And so he pulls in and he gets out and he, he, he tells me, I, I can't forget walking to the church. The first song was playing and as I stepped into that place, there was something different. As I stepped into that place, it was like I could sense God. That for the first time in my life, I felt like heaven was bending down, drawing near and saying, come on. For the first time in my life. And he said that he, 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 was, he was just so captured by the presence of God in there that the first song and the second song and the third song went by. And before long, with tears running down his face, he looked at his clock and he realized he was going to be late. So he jetted out of there could not shake that moment. You can't shake that when God begins to grab your heart. Some of you know, in the middle of your life, suddenly God grabs your heart and you just can't shake it. And so he, he finds himself sneaking away to go back to the church the next Sunday morning and the next Sunday morning and the next Sunday morning. And each time the third song hits, he would jet out and drive there to the Mormon tabernacle and no one would know. Well, he began to get into worship, and he began to know some of the words, the songs, and he began to almost raise a hand and raise another one. Ooh. And then third song would hit, he would jet out of there. Well, the pastor was on the front row, and he would see this, like, blur happen during the third song every single, every single Sunday. And so he's just like, what is going on? And so one Sunday, he didn't go up to his front row seat. He actually stood near the back doors. And as the third song hit, of course, here comes Brigham jetting out, and the pastor grabs him. Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. You know we have more than just three songs on a Sunday, right? Like, we, there's more here. Brigham's like, I can't explain it to you right now. i got to go to my car. i got to go. My parents are going to be so mad. I'm not, I'm not allowed to be here. And the pastor's like, okay, okay. You know we have Sunday night church, right? Brigham's like, no. <laughs> no. Shows up that Sunday night, finds himself on his knees at the front, giving his life to the Lord. They baptized him that night. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he went home, and he knew he had to tell his parents. Walked through the front door. He said, hey, I went to that Christian church today. That's where I was tonight. I gave my life to Jesus. I was baptized, and I'm not going on my Mormon missionary journey. Parents calmly stood up. And said, these are the last words that we will ever speak to you. And boxed up all his belongings, put it on the front door, and then gathered the children and said, you are not to speak to this guy ever again. Now the thing is this, is that he, he was moving. He got up. But how do you deal with rejection like that? See, the thing is, is that he got clean. Why? Because his mission in life from that point onward was I am going to reach back into my family. And as of today, right now, nine of his brothers and sisters are following Christ right now. Because someone got up, someone got out, and someone got clean. You see, the thing is this, is that a fear of rejection will poison everything in your life. And some of you don't realize that some of your actions are coming from the residue of rejection on your life. Have you ever met someone who is a controlling person? 
Why do people control others? Because of fear of rejection. That if I let go of them, if I loosen my grip, they may choose somebody else instead of me. Some of you in here, you're struggling with being fearful, even walking up to a group of people you don't know. Why? Because you fear rejection. It's amazing how muted the gifts that God has put inside of each and every one of us can become when we give in to that fear of rejection. Some of you are very shielded. Nobody is going to get in. No one is going to get through those gates over those walls. Why? Because you have been rejected before when you opened up that gate to somebody. And so you live life with a really developed bicep. Why? Because you are holding a mask up all the time. And let me tell you something. This is why you're tired all the time. This is why you're worn down in your spirit all the time. It is exhausting to live as someone else. It is. It's time to get clean. How? How do I get clean? How? What do I do? But Jared, wouldn't it have been interesting if there existed a book that contained answers to questions like this? Luckily, there is. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, almost as if the author and the Holy Spirit knew exactly what we would be facing today, we read this in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That includes that residue of rejection, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so some people are like, well, how? Like, this is great. I know what I've got to do. I know I've got to get free of this pit. I know I've got to get this residue off me. I know I should live clean. I know I should live free. How? Next verse, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. I want to close with this. What's so powerful about fixing your eyes on Jesus? What's so powerful that it causes even the very rejection that we've been in our entire life to just fall off? Why does a glimpse of the Savior do that? Have you ever looked into the eyes of someone who gets it? Have you ever looked into the eyes of someone who understands? Because in Isaiah 53, Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, was given a, a, a prophetic glimpse of the Savior one day. And God gives him a glimpse, and I, I don't know what Isaiah was expecting, but you can tell by how Isaiah 53 is written that he's surprised, he's shocked. This is not what he expected. Maybe he expected someone who was glowing and powerful and who's, who everybody just accepted, but instead, how did he describe the Messiah? It says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows. Why does, why does rejection have to go when we look into his eyes? Because he's been there. Because he's been there. Because he perhaps looked at a father's eyes who didn't believe in him. 
because he perhaps looked at people who grew up with him and said and looked at him and said, you're nothing special. Perhaps he was rejected. And it's in such a way that he can look at you in the eyes and say, nah, we're better than this. Jared ended last week with the story of that wonderful robe, the identity, the father's favor put it on Joseph. I'm gonna fast forward the story and be a, be a spoiler for you. Joseph makes it out of the pit. Joseph may have gone into slavery and may have gone into Egypt and may have gone into prison, but one day he's elevated to become the second most powerful man in the world. And what is the first thing that God has Pharaoh do the moment that he is elevated? And they put a robe on his shoulders. God wishes to restore and hear what the world ripped off of you when you were rejected. I want you to stand across this room and the worship team is getting ready to do something. And I want to kind of close things a little bit differently tonight. I want you to shut your eyes because there's some messages that we need to hear and we need to go and we need to meditate on, but there's certain messages that just point at very specific things in our life and we know we must deal with them right here, right now. And in this room, perhaps rejection has been your kryptonite. It has been the defining factor in so many of your decisions. Tonight, not only do I want you to lock your eyes on Jesus, who left the grave behind, so will I. But I want you to lay down that rejection before God. And so I'm going to do something, and it may sound a little old school, but as the worship team begins to sing this incredible song, I'm going to just make an altar in this front area. And if it gets full, then go to the sides. No one's going to be praying for you. I'm not going to invite a prayer team to come up. This, this is an open call for anybody. But I want you to take that rejection, lay it down at the foot of the cross, and look Jesus in the eyes. I want you to hear the words that are about to be sung over you. And then when it is done and you walk out those doors, you walk free. And so let's begin.